So Preston, you hit me up a while ago about someone who went down to a library that has some of George's earlier drafts and other works, and uh, they found some writings that may lean towards your Grand Maester conspiracy and prove you right about it. What's what's going on with that? Well, I mean, prove prove might be a little strong because obviously something that's not published is not canon. But um, you know, but we we have to give a lot of props to uh, Reddit u- user G Steph. So G Steph. Um, spent a lot of time to go to Texas A&M's Cushing Library and go through George R. Martin's um, stuff. Now, for those people that don't know, uh, George R. Martin has put a whole bunch of old correspondences, emails with fans, with with uh, with his editors, with um, old props, all sorts of old um, drafts of of previous books. Uh, not just Ice and Fire, some previous stuff too, but mostly Ice and Fire, obviously. Um, and every once in a while, fans go through these boxes, and there's like a hundred of these boxes, so it's 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 very wait it's wait very... they're they're allowed to go through them? Yeah, yeah. Anybody that, off the thing that they allow? Anybody off the street? You know, if you can get get access to the library, you know, get a, get a membership or whatever. You you might have to be a. I'm not sure if you have to be a student at in the uh the university of texas system or whatever or or however but you know if you have access to the texas a&m cushing library yes you can go in and actually the fans that have done this have been some somewhat shocked that they were just like like we're just like hey can i go in and people are like okay here you go and you're oh jesus (laughs) you know um but obviously you know it's a library you have to be you can't destroy things you can't take anything with you like that sort of stuff but um, the most famous situation so far that uh, that happened, and actually I think G. Steph's um, work is is much better than the original, even. But the the most famous was um, this Reddit user named Honeybird who went to the Cushing Library and went through the A Dance with Dragons drafts and found in the in the um, the margins of a draft that that he, uh, George had given to the editor. His editor, the editor asked, um, "Is this Benjamin during during a exchange with Cold Hands?" And George wrote, "In in no, you know, in the um, margins." I remember so, I did a video on that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, what G Steph has found is is there's just much more. I mean, I think, I think. Um, because it's not necessarily Dance with Dragons, people might not have as much interest, but. Uh, you know, finding all of these different what what G stuff essentially found was um, alternate versions of the A Feast for Crow, Crow's prologue, as well as correspondence with his with George and his editor about the A Feast for Crow's prologue and how it relates to um, various things that George wanted to establish in that. With and these this relates to high towers, maesters, glass candles. And, and such everything that we'd find in the in the prologue um george was talking to his editor about this and because there are not there's there are a few versions of there's three versions of the prologue that he found in the um that g stuff found in the uh, library there's some interesting aspects um uh things that strengthen theories the uh, things that get into george's head um, and again, stuff that's not published, 
uh, is not is not canon, but still we get we get into George's mind a little bit when when it comes to what he was thinking when he was writing things about, say, Aleros or the glass candles or Marwyn or the high towers and stuff like that. So, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, essentially, G. Steph went through the correspondences and found that um, George was having a lot of trouble with the Feast for Crows prologue, uh, and he he rewrote it. It spent him, he was rewriting it for a couple years, he writes, and that he had, he didn't really, he wrote 12 different versions of it, and he wasn't sure which version his editor would like, so he actually sends his editor all three, a three, his three, the three that he thinks are the best, which is essentially a, a long version, a short version uh, and a rosy version that one of the versions of the prologue was not from Pate's perspective, but from Rosie, the sex workers, uh, um, perspective in- instead. So it's kind of, kind of, kind of interesting stuff. Um, he also writes that he essentially had a bullet, uh, list of seven things that he was trying to achieve with the prologue that he thought was important. Um, and uh, which were essentially one, Danny and her dragons have a, have arrived in Westeros, and Westeros is aware of it. Um, and then two, that he, they were getting introduced to Old Town and the Citadel, um, and becoming familiar with that, so that the readers would know more about like what that is and the city, and and, and get the feel for that. I would say actually George fails on that front. I think reading. The prologue and Samuel Five, you get very little idea of what Old Town and the Citadel are like, and I would have wanted more of that. But um, his the third thing that George uh, wanted to introduce was um, uh, various characters that are going to be important in the future, uh, specifically Lazy Leo and Alaros the Sphinx, and he was attempting to introduce. Even 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 the the bit characters like Armin and Molander and stuff like that, saying that uh, these were, um, and that he even thought Rosie was going to be important. But he wanted to introduce all of these these characters that he thought were that were going to be important later. Um, Do we I even have enough time? Thought... Do we even have enough time for all of these new characters like right. just coming in here and becoming just as important as what everybody else? Right. I mean. I think he failed in the, in this respect too. I think that uh, all of those characters are given such little time that we know hardly anything about them. I mean, maybe a little bit, you know, we get to know Lazy Leo's personality a bit because his, his personality is strong. But I feel like we hardly even know the Sphinx. We hardly, you know, certainly not Armin and Melander. Most people like just forget who those people were, you know. Um, so number four, he wants to imply or suggest that the that the citadel is a player in the game of thrones and that the maesters have their own secret agenda and that he he essentially does shove in that paragraph from marwin i think the fans do focus on that quite a bit um or at least now they do i think as the yeah i'm not sure if in the few, few, first few years of of a feast for crows being out people talked about it very much but i think with the the lady dustin um uh uh suspicion of the of the maesters as well people started talking about it after that but 
Um, but the intention so, is there that he did intend for the Maesters to be somewhat, you know, uh, the schemers you've always thought they were. Right. And we, we know that, I mean, and obviously with the, with the Marwin accusation is there, it's just whether or not you believe Marwin or think like Marwin is paranoid or whatever. But it, it, it sounds like the fact that like he, this isn't just some sort of random paragraph that he's throwing in there that doesn't mean anything. Like George very specifically wanted to write a prologue that implied this. And of course, of course, it's, it's actually, a failure in the prologue because he he, laid, he has to move that information to Samuel 5. So I think a lot of the different versions um, had information, I think, that eventually gets moved to, to Samuel 5, um, the two, which are our two scenes that, that take place in Old Town, you know. Um, uh, so, so there's a lot of text that's just pushed over um, from the different versions. But yeah, so I think when, when I say like things he wanted to establish – in the prologue, I think it also means the prologue or Samuel five, but um, you know he he does get he does get that he does have that come across. Marwin has his little speech about the the, the maesters, but a lot of people I don't know if it's it's a big focus because a dance with dragons hardly touches on any of this. You know, um, Lady Dustin mentions a little bit about the maesters, but like Old Town, we're silent on we're completely silent on Old Town all through a dance with dragons. So like people have kind of forgotten about, about, um, about old town. I mean, Jesus, when you think about it, it's been 20 years, right? It's been 20 years. The thing five that he wanted to do was introduce the high towers. Hmm. Um, because they haven't played any role yet. And they're one of the most powerful houses in Westeros. I also think this is something he largely failed at. You know, he, he gets Sam briefly goes through his thoughts about, about the high towers when he's like coming into the city but it's just like there's so many chapters where where george mentions a random house that you just kind of like it just goes over your you know you just kind of your eyes glaze over at some point it's like how many you know how much house history do you want to give like he doesn't do anything that makes you latch onto the high towers um more than than any than any other house, you don't really get the sense that the that the high towers are going to be this huge huge um, players. Now, yeah, if you if you if you crack open your appendices and you see how much space is given to the high towers there, like perhaps you can get that impression. But I think for the average reader, n- no one no one reads the series and is like House High Tower. Now, of course, now that we're watching House of the Dragon, people people think House High Tower is important, but you know the the mystery of House Hightower of why this incredibly important house has been not in the series is is uh, I probably lost to most people. So I'd say that George actually failed in doing a lot of um and then number six is he wanted to show some traditions and cultures and mysteries of Old Town and the Citadel. Um again, largely a a failure. Like what did we learn about the Maesters? Like that there's that they do some tests and they they hang out at a bar, you know, <laughs> like that's about all we, the, the acolytes hang out at a bar. We hardly hear anything. And then the last thing he wanted to do was introduce the glass candle. Number seven, he wanted to introduce the glass candle. Um, though George said he was losing confidence with the whole concept, um, which is very, very interesting. So he says that he, um, he tried to write the prologue a dozen times. 
Um, none of them made, made him happy. And he provided three versions, the long version, the short version, the rosy version. Um, the, uh, um, and so in this, in these original versions that, that, uh, George provides, um, Jock and Agar, the hooded man is not seeking a key to the Citadel, but he's seeking the glass candle directly. Um, and so Pate actually sneaks out a glass candle and he's, his, he's bleeding on the leg because he snuck out the glass candle and was hiding it in his, in like in his pant leg. Um, so, you know, in this case, like maybe he decided that it was just impractical or he wanted the glass candles to be bigger. But because um, at the end we do see Jack and Agar near the near the glass candle, but it's funny that like you know he switched it to a key in order to get to the glass candle, you know. Because um, yeah, and then the the diversion. I think the the diversion of that the keys lead to the vaults, and so a lot of people think that that uh, um, people he's going for a book, but he's it sounds like he's going for the glass candle, which I think I kind I think I kind of. A, I, I had assumed that he was going for the candle just because, like, the candle turned on. What would draw somebody to Old Town now? So I figured that. But For the um, people listening to this right now who don't know what a, a glass candle is, it's basically a, a candle-shaped dragon glass type of thing. They haven't burned in, like, what, thousands of years? And uh, supposedly when they do, you could use them to communicate with people across the world, uh, get into visions, mm-hmm. and, and what else? Yeah, you, uh, that's essentially what it is. It's essentially a, a, it's a, like glass candles are essentially Skype, except it's Skype, and then it's also you can go into somebody's dreams. It sounds like a like a like a future cell phone, <laughs> basically. Right, and it's not dissimilar to the Werewood, which is which is important later on, like when we start talking, you know, start talking about later what George was going to write and then didn't put in, but you know, Bran. And 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 Bloodraven or whoever can go to people's into people's dreams with the Werewood, and they can see throughout the world with the Werewood, and so it's it it the glass candles are similar in that respect. So we know that 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 uh, um, uh, Quaith has been speaking to to Danny probably with a glass candle, and um, we know that. Eamon on his ship was getting weird dreams and we kind of get the sense that maybe Marwyn or, or, or Alaros is looking at um, going into his dreams with the glass candle or um, when, when Sam approaches, he says, how did you know we were, I was coming? And they kind of, she, the Alaros nods to the glass candle. So this idea that they, they've been watching the world with this glass candle and that's how they, um, they know a lot of things are going on and that you can actually, you know, influence people and go into their dreams which starts you know changing the story like how many people have been have been uh influenced by by in their dreams by somebody with a glass candle or somebody with a werewood or somebody with flames you know they all seem to be providing the same kind of um thing different method to the same end um one thing that they mentioned that in these other versions uh there's a there is a quick uh description of the the middle of the citadel like if you go into the citadel's library they in this the, the chapter describes this the library as the ring of wisdom and that 
um, Sam, uh, or I'm sorry, Pate raises the lantern above his head and over the place where the wooden spokes meet like slices of a great pie hung an ornate oil lamp of gold leaded glass wrought in shapes of in in the shape of the sun and um what's what's funny about that description is it's very much like the description of the citadel in game of thrones you know how when they finally go to the citadel in game of thrones and they have that he he looks in with that big lamp and it's the lamp from the opening sequence. Did Dave and Dan did George sh- share his ideas with Dave and Dan on this? And and this is where they got it. That's I don't know. I'm so so you know that this is the thing is that there's some some speculation here that perhaps like the whatever the video effects design people might have like um, consulted with George. But it's it's strange that like in the middle of a circular a library there's this big sun lamp and that's exactly what we see in in game of thrones so um george george had completed um uh uh, a feast for crows like long before um the game of thrones series now granted like there's not the whole I think when Sam goes into the Citadel library, which isn't a big, which isn't a big ring and the lamp um, has a bunch of like lenses on it and, and rings and shit like that. So it might just be a coincidence that this, that this weird ringy lamp thing is also the sun in the original game of, I mean, in the game of Thrones opening, but um, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit interesting that, like, in the center of this big ring, there's this weird lamp. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's some sort of, you know, influence to it. Um, oil lamp of gold and leaded glass wrought in the shape of the sun. And, uh, you know, might be reading into it too much. I mean, I think the the thing that we see in Game of Thrones is a, is a lot more intricate. But nonetheless, that thing is used as a sun flying around the map in the opening sequence. So... Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Um, so in the original prologues, uh, there are many glass candles, not just four. And every, every archmaster has a glass candle. And, um, so Pate is stealing one of the maester's glass candles. Um, and rather than one of his keys to get to a vault or whatever. Um, uh, he, they mentioned that the ring of wisdom, the middle of the library is where, uh, novices are tested on knowledge. Um, or at least that's where they're tested on knowledge of the, of the heavens with, with Archmaster Valen. So maybe that gets more into, yeah, the, you know, the, the weird concentric rings or whatever, um, being tested on the, the, the heavens. Cause that, that's not, that, that, together with the fact that the lamp looks like the big sun make does make it seem like there's a big model of the solar system in the middle of the library just like in a game of thrones and just like in game of thrones series um but um for let's see what else um so the unfinished short version is not that different from the one that's published um there's some minor changes to the dialogue at the pub, many more mention, mentionings of the Ring of Wisdom. Um, uh, there's more about Aleros, 
but stuff we kind of knew because it's in the appendix. Alaros claims that uh, Leo claims that Alaros is a Lord's son, but Alaros denies it. Um, and then they kind of say that sphinxes used to exist before the doom of Valyria, which is a kind of interesting concept that, 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 um, and I'm going to get into that, that. So there's a lot of, there's some belief about how much genetic engineering the Valyrians were doing either scientifically or, or, or magically. And, you know, did the, were there half humans, half dragons? Is there dragon DNA in human DNA? Is there human DNA in the dragon's DNA? Like how much splicing went on? And the idea that um, you could have this half, because we know that when we say Sphinx in the world of ice and fire, we don't mean um, woman and eagle. They mean like woman and a dragon. These are half human, half dragons when they say a Sphinx. Um and uh, the Valyrian sphinxes. The um, so this idea that you know maybe there are these half dragon, half humans that existed in Valyria before the Doom, which is kind of weird, weird kind of stuff. But of course, George removed it. Might maybe he thought it was too weird to um, to have that kind of thing. Um, you, you can you can tell it's probably it was killing him because he really loves to go into this. Like you find a lot of the stuff in the Thousand Worlds uh, novels, don't you? In the stories. Um, about George's like love of genetic engineering yeah. and stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. So I mean, it's right up George's alley. Like when I hear that, like you know, the idea that the Valyrians might have done all sorts of like crazy genetic engineering with with like monstrous half human half dragons. Like, yeah, that's very George. That's very George. Um, so in this in one of these in the the original story. Pate passes out from blood loss because the glass candle is cutting him. <laughs> and he wakes up in some room with the hooded man and then with the and the glass candle. But then Pate dies again. So um so in the in the rosy version, the uh um which is all from Rosie's perspective, which is weird, Rosie had dreamed of becoming a maester herself. But couldn't because she was a because she wasn't a man, and that and that Rosie is in love with with uh, Aleros and thinks he's he's so beautiful, um and like wants to take Aleros to bed, but like which which kind of gets into like <laughs> which is funny that we did the um you know uh, the the fanfic prologue and how playing around with the with the you know sexual relationships with with Alaros and people being like fooled um in this situation like a woman wanted to have sex with Alaros thinking that her a man and in ours like we had another man who was gay wanting to have sex with Alaros and not realizing that he's a woman um but that we like actually hit upon something like George that George was going to that was playing around with like the, you know. This is a meme you have to continue on into into like if you if you guys go on into Dream of Spring fanfic. Yeah. This is a meme you have to continue with. Yeah. So um, she uh, but yeah she calls but it's very clear through through the the it's just much more clear that Alaros is Sorella Sand. It, not not that too many people deny that 
Valeras is Sorella San, but it's just much more obvious when like Rosie is specifically talking about how she wanted to be a maester but couldn't because she was a woman, and then she's in love with Valeras, and she's describing how pretty he is, and you know they go into the fact that he has a lord's you know lord as a father and and all sorts of things. It's just it's just much clearer that that Valeras is Sorella Sand. Um. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just Rosie listening to the conversation that Pate and Lazy Leo have and, and in, in the, in the, and the other acolytes have in the, in the, um, but it's just from her perspective. Um, um, let's see anything else that, um, from now, I mean, he, uh, G, um, G stuff is going to be, is going to be posting more stuff. From, from some other findings but this was this was a oh a big thing um the uh there was a big thing about the fact that the glass candles um grant eternal life that's the huge thing um yeah as long as the flame lasts, the man whose life is bound to it cannot die. Um, <clears throat> which is really quite odd, because um, I think in somebody was somebody was mentioning that there there's a passage in in um, Jamie six, a storm of swords, where Jamie also compares life to candles. And he says, the flames will burn so long as you live. When you, when they die, so must you. So, so a glass candle, a glass candle has a, is made of dragon glass or obsidian. And it, it has an unflickering, like undying flame. And so like, I joke that, or not, not joke, but I theorize the glass candles are, are not, are actually made of silicon that the, cause silicon and, because the story is post-apocalyptic, right? Where these are futuristic things, you know, whether it's post-apocalyptic or not, but these are futuristic things. So, like, how would a person in the Middle Ages describe a long, like, tech piece that has a flashlight at the top? They would describe it as like an unflickering, like, blinding light or whatever. Um, and so, at the top, he says, you know, so here he's saying that that dragon that the candles are are kind of similar to binding to a, a like a were uh, a werewood or a or even closer to maybe a dragon or a or a direwolf where if you're bound to the dragon and the flame lasts you cannot die um and before i was mentioning that the, the glass candles are a clear parallel to the werewood in fact the citadel itself is a parallel to the werewood net where the werewood net is a is a is this network of trees where knowledge is absorbed into the trees and lives forever and you live forever in, in you know in in the werewood it's the werewood net is heaven too you know like when we die we go to heaven and then you can see everybody you want and you live forever it's it's just heaven right the werewood net is heaven um however George has often written that, okay, well, if you don't believe in the afterlife, there are other ways to live forever. And that is through like your memory and knowledge. 
And so the citadel, in a sense, is a, is a parallel because it's a way in which knowledge lives forever uh, in books and research and things like that. Um, um, of course, the, the glass candles make it a little more direct, like now, where, where the werewoods can see around the world, the glass candles can see around the world. Um, uh, you know, so, but then it's like you have eternal life if you're bound to a glass candle. That's... Uh, that's very, very direct. It's not just like a metaphorical, your life, your, your, your life continues on through your knowledge and research. It's very literal. You don't die as long as you're bound to the glass candle. Um, but yeah, the, uh, but how easy, how easy would it be to blow out the flame though? Because that seems kind of like a shitty deal, depending on how easy that would be. Yeah, of course. Now, George, George talks about, um, in in a lot of his writing about you know people living people living forever in computer chips like in and simulated realities i've heard him i've had him write even in his blogs about these sorts of things that like you know that you know let's get on that having people live forever by by downloading our memories into computers this this happens a lot in say uh, night flyers you know where where the roid's mother gets gets her her personality soul like uploaded into a computer crystal um you know there, there might be it might be very similar uh using technology to achieve heaven state versus like you know religion achieving it through through magical means using science to achieve the same thing but uh, but i think i think he was hinting, hinting at all all of these kind of themes but uh he never he never um you know he never committed to it he, he he seemed to he seemed to not want to do it, and in the end he didn't. So you know how much it can't really be canon. You know none of this can really be canon, but because you know all, we know, for instance, the archmaesters don't all have glass candles, and it was never introduced that any that you have eternal life if you're bound to a glass candle or any of these sorts of things. I'm surprised you of all people have not never gone to this place yourself and 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 come through this because <clears throat> this seems like it would be up your alley, something you'd like to do. Um. It's not that I wouldn't, uh, but it is a lot of boxes and the people that, <laughs> the people that have gone have said they haven't like people go and they spend like days looking for it through boxes and don't find anything new. So I think that's like <clears throat> after reading about um, Honeybird uh, trip and I was like, wow, you did all this research and you, you found like, okay, cold hands isn't Benjamin. Like that's, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of work for for that kind of stuff, but um, well, let's be honest for a minute here. These people who go, they're not they don't have an entire YouTube channel focusing on being analytical on the material. I'm pretty sure the stuff they've gone over that they thought was like whatever, that's probably like a hundred years worth of videos for you. Maybe, yeah, but um, yeah. Anyway, but you know, I I think some of these fans are as are as dedicated as me, so it's um. <laughs> but, we'll, but uh you know they, they have i think i think maybe that you know some people have been been um cataloging what boxes are, are what but yeah there's 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 i think it might be 200 boxes you know um but it's it's a lot of stuff to go through there's a, there's a lot of the show props and all sorts of random stuff in there too so show props from game of thrones yeah yeah. Oh, hmm. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting. See that—that's yeah, like a trip stuff. right there. That—that—that's a whole video right there. Your trip to this place. 
Yeah, I'm not sure how much you're you're supposed to video or take pictures of. I think maybe people do stuff clandestinely. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're allowed to do. Do have they do they have the pages laminated? Because I would hope so. Like everything. No, just... no. I think it's like you just have to be really careful with the papers. It's like any other library. Library, you know. You just have to be really because people have like oils and what on their hands. It's just like mm-hmm. this. Just a okay. Well. Yeah, you know, you're not going to go in with like you know a hoagie, and uh, <laughs> well, no, of course, but like even yeah. like someone's hands, like you know, hands just they're they're hands. They they have like oils and stuff and all that, and that could yeah, fuck yeah. up the pages. And okay, well. Um, hopefully, hopefully we get some, some more inklings of these, of these storylines and Winds of Winter, whenever that comes out, but, uh, apparently there's uh, an update to that. Um, yeah, now you were, you were telling, this is something you were telling me about, um, that, 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 uh, Elio and Linda, uh, did some chatting with George R. Martin recently. Apparently. And did, some, a, tweet, and did some tweets. Yeah. So, you know, the book they're releasing. Um, what's it called? Rise of the yes. Dragon. It's the summary thing. Yeah, George throwing them a bone. The, the book looks great. I, I'll be the first to pirate it. Um, but I will say, <laughs> I will say, uh, we got some updates on the Westeros.org Twitter. And, uh, apparently they did a live stream, which I can't really find right now. I don't know where people are seeing this, but, um, they asked George how far along he is. And George said he's... <laughs> George says that Winds of Winter will be the longest in the series, and he thinks he's three-fourths of the way done, but can't predict when done. And he recently reread some of the chapters he already did and decided that they need to be rewritten, uh, but he's working on it. So... Okay. Not really three-fourths um, of the way, if he has to go back and like rewrite something. Now, now when, when you told me three-fourths of the way, uh, I was like, I was like, wow... I can't believe I was like, and, and again, like George being like somewhat, somewhat exaggerating and then also saying that he needs to go back and like rewrite some chapters. Like I gave the two thirds figure, like when, when was that, when was my video on the, on the, um, that was what, the, a year the, ago? The, um, let me see. I don't know if it was a year ago, but I think it was a year ago. Let homie. me see. Here. It feels like a year ago. Um, let me see. I pu- I published this no in June, this past June. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. That, wow. It feels like a year ago. So it's yeah. I know. So in June, I published the the pessimist history, which somehow I po- I po- I posted that video not thinking it would be anything, and it's it's gotten so many views. I don't like. Did you put a did you put that. a red arrow and circle on it? Because that helps. <laughs> no. No. I I don't I don't know what it is, but it's like one of my most successful videos, and um, the uh, he uh, in that which essentially you know a, a too long didn't watch is uh, of that video is um, George had about a third of the book left over from dance. Um, he didn't write anything until COVID and during COVID he wrote an additional third was my, was my, um, was my claim um, in that with, with a few, with a few, uh, you know, maybe a few couple hundred, you know, slowly written here and there. Um, but, you know, two thirds is 67%. Three fourths is 75%. Uh, I think it's, you know, I think I'm pretty, and you know, plus George is maybe exaggerating a little and saying that he wants to go back. But I, I, I think that 
weirdly, I I hit the number. <laughs> like I hit, not to toot my own horn, but I hit it. I hit the like because a lot of people are like, oh, he's nearly done. He's nearly done. I'm like, no, he's not. And then a lot of people are like, no, he hasn't written a thing. I was like, ah, no. So I, I hit the number. <laughs> Apparently, wins will be more than fifteen hundred pages. So mm. I'm wondering if they're gonna yeah. be able to split that like they did. Because uh, because remember, uh, wasn't Feast and Dance originally one giant thing, and then he split that? Um, I think that uh, what will happen is that the editors will have him cut a few chapters and move them to dream of spring that kind of stuff the same yeah same thing kind of thing how is that even possible Um, to move it to dream of spring because because then all this all the stuff he planned to write for dream of spring that'll be another you i mean it might it might as well just be into a into an abyss because like move it to a dream of spring it's gone (laughs) like like (laughs) well no that and Um, and and you move it to dream of spring and then dream of spring is gonna be another 1500 pages and you move that to what what was the last final book that may be because uh, he, he said he wants to do seven, which, okay, but yeah. is there going to be enough space in that in the Dream of Spring? Because then they might have to do an no, eighth book, A no, Time of Wolves. No, 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 no. Right, exactly. But, you know, there's we all we all kind of know that there's not a, there's no way George can wrap it up in two books. I'm not saying a writer couldn't wrap it up in two books. I'm saying George can't wrap it up in two books. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, he's not, he, 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 he hasn't even, he hasn't even gotten on to phase two of his plan. Like his plan from the beginning was war of the five Kings, Danny's invasion, others invasion. Like there's, there's three stages to the story and he hasn't even gotten to stage two yet of like his story in his mind. That others invasion, uh, the, the White Walker invasion, that's going to have to wait because that's the one thing he's having the most issue with. Uh, according to Elio and Linda, Bran is still tough to write because of the supernatural and sorcerous matter. And he's struggling with these chapters for the Winds of Winter. So what was the one that people thought he was originally struggling with? Marine? Uh, well, back in the Dance of Dragons, he was struggling with Marine because of... of, of um uh simultaneous events happening and in this people he said he was struggling earlier he said he was struggling with cersei and um everybody's like oh well that makes sense because there's simultaneous events happening with like john con coming in and you know it's it, it seems to be tough for george to to coordinate simultaneous chapters where a lot of different events are, are happening at once and how people should re- be reacting um and so with with a dance of dragons he he ended up you know he claims he he wrote and rewrote a whole bunch of chapters uh where you know Quentin Martell arrives you know after Danny flies off from the from the dragon pit Quentin Martell arrives much earlier Victorian arrives at a certain time Tyrion arrives at a certain time like all like when these characters are arriving because you have the the three characters of 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 Tyrion Tyrion, Victorian, and Quentin all coming to Slaver's Bay in a race to to, to meet Danny. Um, uh, you know he was having trouble like timing it all. And then the way he fixed the Miranese knot is by inventing the Barristan point of view. Um, he never planned on having a Barristan point of view, but you know he he had to get rid of Danny and he needed somebody else to pick up from from where she left off. So she, Barristan was invented. 
The other um, uh, minor thing that he uh, that he touched on real quick is uh, uh, in regards to he revealed that his his preferred starting point for House of the Dragon would have been about the heir and the spare, showing both the love and rivalry of Jaehaerys' son Aemon and Balon. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, that gets into that gets more into like why, like immediately why, um, uh, like, um. Rhaenys might have been passed over the first time for Balon and, and, you know, reasoning for that, um, which, you know, eventually leads into everything. Um, but, um, but back on Bran, I could, I think it completely makes sense that Bran would be the thing tripping him up. Bran has to be the most difficult chapter to write. It has to be just because you're dealing with time travel elements and the time travel stuff that Bran is dealing with, it's so like having done the time traveling Bran series and now like really understanding like I like what George is trying to do with time travel, which I, and I do think he's trying to do Groundhog's Day in a sense, um, like how how complicated that is. Um, if 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 a three eyed crow, if previous versions of Bran have been through this a million times. And now this version of Bran has to go forward. Um, there's a lot of very confusing elements to the story because time traveling, time travel always, once you think about it, like ties your mind up in nuts in, in knots because it doesn't it doesn't make time travel never makes sense because it can't. It's a paradox, you know. So, um, but George, you know, George is going to try. You know, that's what the story needed was time travel. And uh, is that all from the uh, the Reddit piece as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I went into the Reddit piece pretty well, pretty pretty detailed. Um, and hopefully, we'll we'll see see more from uh, G Steph's great research. So this is ongoing. Props. Um, yeah, and I'll 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 leave a link to G Steph's um, original Reddit post about it because uh, you know um, it's a. Uh, it's just you know exemplary exemplary research and work being done. So that's a that's definitely a, a a trip you should plan once you're back in the states to to go visit this. Yeah, I mean, I'll see about you know getting access and things like that and fly, flying down there. So it seems like a lot of work and and you know it's like a shot in the dark whether you're going to find anything interesting. So 